arms around you in the midst of your troubled mind. See, the Lord wants us to have peace of mind. Hallelujah. Peace is what God gives us tonight. Hallelujah. Peace of the Lord. Beautiful thing. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise his name. pick up your Bibles and let's turn to the gospel according to St. Mark to the 14th chapter. Some old scriptures I like from the spring to life in our life tonight. God has dealt so many different ways during the services that sometimes you have to be cautious what direction he wants to move. I want to begin at the 32nd verse, 14th chapter of St. Mark. It says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. He saith to his disciples, Sit you here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tear ye here and watch. He went forward a little and fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. When he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough, the hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. He that betrayeth me is at hand. Father, we thank you for your blessed divine word. And God, we want you to move tonight in the direction that you need to move. Master, might you transport us back to the time when you went into the Garden of Gethsemane just before you walked out to face your accusers and those that would finally crucify you. Well, let us retrace your steps a little while tonight. And God, some way or somehow, bring our minds to the importance of what's transpired not only on the cross, but in Gethsemane and some of the things you underwent there, and God challenged us then to our ways of living and our life. 
God, that we might understand that a great price beyond our imagination was paid for our privilege of just entering into the house of God and our desire to want to enter into the house of God. Thank you, Lord, and we know you will. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My greatest fear, I believe, now you answer for yourself, my greatest fear is that in our pressures of life and our desire to find some place in God is that we would forget Gethsemane and we would forget the cross and what transpired there in our life. So every once in a while God begins to get me in a corner someplace and reminds me of what it took to purchase my salvation. And when I become dissatisfied with things and happenings in my life, this always comes in to humble me and make me understand that regardless of what is happening in my life, it is a great privilege to know Jesus and to understand what he has done for us. And even in the midst of unrest and trouble, when things don't go near the way that I wanted to go, I ever take a trip to Gethsemane and to the cross, I am mindful that my suffering doesn't amount to anything. All the pressures of my life doesn't amount to anything because it was there in the garden and on the cross that Jesus paid the price for our salvation. God longed ever since the fall of Adam and Eve to have a complete union with man. That was his desire. One plan did not fail. He always had one eternal plan, and that brought us to Jesus. Yes. That plan, of course, to unite man and bring the union back to God and man was a twofold plan. God wanted, on one hand, to give us his life, the life of Christ and his nature, which we did not have because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And then, on the other hand, Christ had to be willing to take the nature of humanity and the sins of all humanity and pay the price for it all and be willing to do that. And this happened at Gethsemane as he drank the bitter cup that we might be forgiven of our sins and we might share his holiness. When he walked into Gethsemane, we begin to understand what type of a God he was. When he walked into Gethsemane, we understood that he was not just an ordinary hero. But we had to stop there if we would and ask just who was he and just how did he undergo all of the temptations that was there. No one else could have and no one else would have drink the cup of our sin and death to give us life and to give us holiness. When I turn back to that old scripture that I had ministered from for a long time and ministered about a long time, I was reminded of the difference in Jesus Christ, one that was always on top of everything, one that was always calm and serene and the master of every situation. A lad of 12 years old stood in the synagogue with wisdom unequaled, never was before, never has been yet. 
After 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, beasts and tempters all over, companions, he came out more than a conqueror. He had been brought face to face with every human need and diseases, was subject to his power and his word, and he spoke it, and that was all that was needed. Demons fled at the sound of his voice. We find where he was mocked and ridiculed and he didn't revile. And suffering like that is reflected in so much that the centurion said, surely this man must be the son of God. And when we watch him in the chapters preceding this, as he walks, as he delivers the blind, as he casts out devils, as he stood in the face of his accusers and had the right answer all the time, seemed like he was just head and shoulders above anything that might come in his life. But if we would just look when he walked into Gethsemane, you would notice the change that he's undergoing. You'll notice something happening to him that you never read about before. 33rd verse simply says, he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. In other words, he was burdened. There was agony in his spirit and agony in his soul. And he was burdened down with some pressures that he'd never been burdened down with before. And we see the matchless Son of God in a position we've never saw him as he was ready to bow beneath the weight and load of every sin of all the universe. You give me some time tonight because I don't intend to make you shout. I'd like to do my best to bring you back to Gethsemane and make you realize what a privilege it is to be able to come into the house of God. And what a privilege it is to know Him in prayer. And what He has done for us and then maybe we could crawl out of the mully grubs a little bit easier and recognize regardless of what happens to us, we owe him something. Amen. Amen. We owe him something. Amen. We owe him honor and praise and glory. Yes. And we watch him there and he walks into Gethsemane and something heavy and crushing falls on his heart. Amen. Far heavier and worse than the cross that he carried that he fell under. His spiritual strength seemed to supersede his natural strength and the horror of the great burden that was coming upon him settles upon his soul. He had never met a foe like this in his entire being. Of everything that he done as he faced the enemy in almost every area, as he faced the powers of the devil in all their height and all their splendor, so to speak, he had never faced a foe like this one. What was happening here, the sins of all humanity in Gethsemane was being gathered upon his frail shoulders. The disciples noticed his troubled spirit. They'd never seen Jesus as anything but the master of every situation. But now they notice him as he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Watch with me an hour. Something moved over this man called Jesus, and he wanted some human company. He wanted somebody to shoulder a load with him, and he found none. 
Even his closest disciples found themselves sleeping in the most needed hour of the Savior. I think we ought to walk a little bit longer with him. I think we ought to follow him just a few more yards. I think we ought to listen to him pray, Father. I wish we could catch that. As humanity looks up into the heavens, searching the clouds and says, Father, Father, I don't want this cup. I don't want this burden. I don't want these sins. And old place begins to shrink back from it. And he said, if there's any other way, if there's any other choice, then let this cup pass from me. He was feeling something he had never felt before. Sin had never touched his life. He had never tasted it. He didn't know really what it was all about until he walked into Gethsemane. And there, sin began to be loaded down upon him. He was ready to drink the cup of not his sins, but yours and mine. And he was about ready to ingest something that had never been a part of his life. There was something in his spirit that recoiled against that. I don't necessarily believe he was afraid of death. I don't necessarily believe that was his problem. I think his problem was my sin and yours. The sins of all humanity before and and even after and ours tonight. I think his problem was something that he really hadn't felt. He had saw it. He had rebuked it. He had combated it. He had been victor over it in other people's lives, but never had he tasted it. Never had he known the awfulness of what it was like until the cup reached down from heaven and God Almighty handed it down and says, somebody has got to pay for the sins of all humanity. Somebody has to be worthy. And Jesus, perhaps knowing in his life what it was all about, had fought the battles, had endured almost everything, but he needed Gethsemane worse than anything else in this world. He needed to feel those things. And as it came down upon him, he finally said, nevertheless, I don't know how long he agonized. I don't know how long the Bible doesn't say there's any space in between, but I can imagine if he's dying out the flesh, there has to be some cryings in between. I don't know how long it was between his cry out to the master and ask Almighty God to relieve him of this until the spirit finally took control and simply says, nevertheless, it is not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus prayed again, went back again and said, Master, if it is possible, let this bitter cup pass from me. And then again, after three times in prayer, he simply looks up and says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Walks out of Gethsemane. We would do well tonight if we could would consider what was in that cup.
that made even the divine Son of God shrink back from it and not want any part of it. Let's look real carefully. Without exception ever sin, have all ages was laid upon him, him who knew no sin. Sin of all those that faltered and fell. All of the pharaohs and all of the rulers, their sins was laid upon him. There was a public sins that was known and hidden sins that was not known. There were sins of royalty. There were sins of peasants. There were sins of the lowest criminal, even Barabbas, and his sins was there. Sins of the Sanhedrin was there after they condemned him to death. Sins of the Pharisees and Sadducees and all of those who uh, knew his power and felt his power. And when it come times to be witnesses for him, they were not there. Those sins were laid upon the frail shoulders of Jesus Christ. Sins of the self-righteous individuals. Peter's sins as well as Judas Iscariot's sins. And in that cup, so we can make it pertinent to us tonight, was not only their sins, not only the sins of past humanity's sins and future, but in that handed down to Jesus was your sin and mine. He's the one that showed it at all. And if he hadn't shrunk from that, if he hadn't looked up with distaste in that, he would not have been a holy God. Because these were lips that had not been defiled. This was flesh that had not ingested any sin at all. And now he was consuming and taking upon himself all the corruption of all mankind and evil that we look at. When we look at what's going on overseas, the atrocities of man, he loaded those sins upon his shoulders. When we look at the murders here and the things that's happened in our community, he loaded those sins upon his shoulders. When we look at houses of prostitutions and drunkards and all of those things, he loaded those things upon his shoulders. And one day he looked down at us and saw fallen humanity had loaded your sins and mine, our sins present, past, and future, had loaded upon his shoulders and drank that cup of bitterness and gall and ingested our sin and set us free. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I just feel like praising him right now. I just feel like saying thank you, Jesus, for long past favors that I forget so often. Master, and in the midst of the twilight of man's life, some way or somehow, bring us back to Calvary and bring us back to Gethsemane and make us realize this is where it all started. I believe in the power of God and I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the manifestations of God. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I think they ought to be. But friend, I believe in the cross of Jesus Christ and I believe in Calvary as great or more so. And I think a remembrance ought to be put back to there. I think we ought to understand saints that Jesus faced a foe that we could never face. His life was lived in such a manner that he could do that. If we have any idea of what that is, it's difficult for our minds to grasp the full weight of that. The shame and wickedness that was upon him, how his heart must have bled at that time to understand that this was something not his own that he was taking into his body. This was a sickness not his own 
that he was ingesting in his body. This was a cup not his own that he should not drink, but he did drink. This was life not his own that he was paying for. We could some way understand the shame and humiliation and the burden of the heart of the Savior in that day and hour. Then we can understand why he was so amazed and why he was exceedingly sorrowful. Not necessarily the death, even sorrowful unto death, but also of what he was going to have to take into his life. If some way we could picture a Christian home where the love of God is prevalent and most of us have that, where there's uh, no loud, no worldly foul-mouthed things going on in our, in our midst of our home and we have a good atmosphere of heaven and a good prayer life and all of that and just picture some worldly foul-mouthed individual coming into that home and starts to contaminate that atmosphere with lurid profanity and indecent acts then we can understand, in a sense, how Jesus felt. Because it would literally uh, give us a sickening disgust. I've had individuals to walk in my home that, I had, that we have had to stop from using those things. Because immediately it was sickening disgust. And if that would happen to me, think what it was happened to Jesus. No sin at all in his life. And yet, having those things that he had never had and no reason to have in his life... Think what agony that he must be undergoing at this particular time of this writing. Understand what agony he must have been going through. I believe maybe it's even worse than the nails that was driven in his hands and in his feet. You see, the filth of the whole world. I had to stop and I had to imagine. And I can't. I want you to try it with me. Try to imagine the filth of the whole world, a world that was then. All you have to do is listen sometimes or read the history of the Romans to understand how cruel they were and the Huns, how cruel they were and what is even happening today in Croatia and other places like that and understand all of this stuff that is going on, the sadistic mind of man and the filth that's going on in the whole world. Watch as humanity degrades himself with alcohol and dope and, and lust and sin every place. And understand those things that was in humanity, that is in humanity, that will be in humanity. A filth of the whole world upon the shoulders of somebody that had never known what sin is. There's no wonder he looked up and said, Master, Father, if it is your will, don't let me have to drink this. I don't know about you, but I sat there in my office and I imagined. I do that a lot. I imagined that he looked into the 20th century to, there, to that day some 40-some-odd uh, years ago, and I imagined he saw me. I imagined he saw a boy, a body wrecked with alcohol. I imagined he looked down and saw somebody who had wrecked their life and ruined their health. And somebody who nobody thought could ever be saved had he looked down and saw me. I think maybe that might have changed his mind. Hallelujah. When he said, not my will, but your will be done. When he saw the chaos of humanity. When he saw the failures of humanity. When he saw humanity running off the cliff into the depths of hell and no savior whatsoever. When he looked and saw everything that we needed was in his life. And finally, he just looks up 
I says, I don't like it. I've never felt it before, but I'm going to drink it. I'm going to ingest it. I'm going to take it on my shoulders. I'm going to make a way for those unfortunate people that's never had a way. Even looked back and saw the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons and all of this. And looked and saw this would never do it. I looked around with all humanity and saw no one that was able to take his place. And looked and saw us. All of you were different. But you needed a Savior. Amen. Some of you maybe never walked in depths and sin like others did. That you still needed a Savior. And the world still needs a Savior. And the world still cries in agony. And the world still needs the blood of Jesus Christ. And still needs a sacrifice lamb. And friend, we don't just need him once. We need him all the time. No wonder he was so amazed. No wonder he began to get very heavy. No wonder his soul was exceedingly sorrowful. Because he was feeling the loathfulness of sin. He was feeling the awfulness of it. He was feeling the disrespect of humanity. He was feeling the mockery of mankind. He was feeling the rejection of mankind. He was feeling all of this. He walked in his life and was rejected in his life and rejected in his death, but it didn't make any difference. In Gethsemane, he knew that he was drinking the dregs of sin for even those that pierced his hand and his feet and pierced his side. The first thing he said in the cross is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was paying a price. He was paying an awful price. It wasn't a little funny thing. It wasn't something because he was a holy God that he just did without uh, any fear at all. This not only was all God, but he was all man. And he's had the same feelings you and I have. Except he was feeling something he never had. Sin on his shoulders. Shrinking back from that. Crying out as he never had. Never had he cried like this. Always, he said, I came to do my Father's will. Never did he ever question. Never did he ever look and say, I don't want to do it. Not at any time in the recordings and writings of the Bible do you find that except right here. Right. So you have to understand there's something happening there that never happened before. And we would be good to ingest that in our own spirit and our own life tonight. To understand that he was working there as harder, harder than he ever worked on Calvary. Amen. I get ashamed of myself, saints. I do. I get ashamed of myself when I let the world take preeminence over my God. When I let the world discourage me. When I let the world oppress me. When I let the world get me down. I need a trip back to Gethsemane. I need to look at, at Jesus in his humanity. I need to know that he understands exactly, exactly how I feel. Yes. Yes. There's no wonder after I received Christ in my life that I never felt good when I see him. <laughs> Amen. There's no wonder that I could, couldn't just toss it over the other shoulder. Because there was something in my life where the divinity of God was shrinking back from those things I was putting inside of it. 
Amen. We might get an idea of what the Holy Ghost in our life, and we're piling all of this other garbage and stuff in on top of it, and it shrinks back from it. Just like he did then in the garden, he shrinks back from it. He's really saying, get this garbage out of here and let my divinity work through you. Live the life of Christ as you should. Glory. Hallelujah. Let's just worship the Lord a minute. Let's just move back in our spirit. Let's just understand that what we vowed him then, what made him shrink back then, what made him uh, just shrink back from what was happening, still does the same thing. For he's not here in bodily presence, but he's here in the form of the Spirit, and what he detested then, he detests now. And we do him a disservice when we load this temple that he wants to dwell in down with sins and failures and weaknesses and leave them there where they become more progressive than the power of God that it was in us. But his love, I like to talk about the love of Jesus, but his love, See it almost every place in the Bible. Here it is, it says in the Sunday school scripture, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And the love of God had to come to the forefront of that man called Jesus. And that love that was instilled within him, for there was love there, made him look down, and though he despised the shame, Bible says, despised to shame, and now set down on the right hand of God forever to be intercessor for us. Amen. And was willing to yield to the will of the Spirit and not to the will of the flesh. What motivated Jesus to drink man's iniquities and destroy them? It wasn't the feeling of sorry for us. It wasn't just because he liked us. It wasn't just because he had a human love for us. It was because he had a love far supersedes oh, yes. the love of humanity. Oh, yes. oh, yes. He had a love that he seeks to instill within us. Amen. Not just a filial love. Not just a lust of some type. But he seeks to instill within us what was in him. The agape love of God, which is a divine love, which supersedes the boundaries of the understanding of humanity. When I look at him in the flesh, I don't understand how he could do this. I don't understand why he would do this. Because I love my family. But friend, I've found a greater love that supersedes that. I wish I could walk in and I wish I could tell you tonight that I walk in and all the time, but I don't. It's just times when the Spirit overflows in my life. It's times when the Holy Ghost comes down in my spirit and those that I used to despise, my soul cries out some way for deliverance from the bondage of sin and destruction in their life. Those that do me wrong and do me hurt have something inside and that has to be the love of God because I don't have that type of love. And it's the love of God that wants me to embrace them and lead them to the rock that is higher than I. 
It is something greater that stirs within me uh, than my spirit, than what my flesh wants or what my human nature wants or what my human spirit wants. That's why it's so important to be fortified with the divine presence of God. And that's why it is so important not only to be fortified by that, but to recognize that we must not walk after the flesh and walk after the spirit. God help us to find the path Jesus walked. Why would he do this? What motivated him? Why in the midst of all of this? You see, he didn't walk into something and just loaded up there and said, that's fine, I can handle it all. The human side of him was portrayed uh, more vastly and more graphic in this one particular scripture than any place else in the Bible. You'll find the human side of Jesus as it wrestles against that which he was born in this world to do, but also that in which he did not have to do. If he was coerced into doing it, if he would have had to done it, and if he did not do it willingly, the sacrifice would have been for naught. But he worked through it here in Gethsemane. He saw this in, he felt it, he felt its awfulness. He felt the filth of it. I want to go over that again. Sometimes we meet slobbering, drunken individuals and are defiling their life and destroying it. And something raises up within us. Jesus didn't just see one like that. He saw multitudes like that. Sadistic men who would as soon kill as to look at you. And he saw them. And he saw harlots and prostitutes and whoremongers and people spending their life doing things they ought to do. And felt that as it came upon his shoulders. Unless we forget, he saw the sins of mortal man who had never killed anybody, who had never murdered anybody, who had never stole from anybody, and whose life looked like it was a life of paragon. And yet there was a sin there in the life. Old Adam's nature was there, and it had to be changed. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse the human nature of old Adam's nature. Regardless of how good we are, self-respecting we are, regardless of how much we pay and how much we give, regardless of whether our name is on every church book there is in this world, there has to be a cost of Calvary in our life and a redemption form within our bodies. That's sin. That's what Jesus took in his body. And he did it. Finally, because he wanted to. I'll say that again. He did it finally. After wrestling, after saying, I don't want to do it. Something that he saw, and I'll never believe it's anything else, but hell engulfing humanity. Lives on the edge the pits of hell never had a chance never would and he changed his mind and simply said I'll do it and he walks out of Gethsemane he said arise 
time was at hand. He walks out and gets kissed with a kiss of betrayal by one that had followed him and saw his mighty miracles in his power. He even saw the sin of Judas there. He said, I'll pay the price. He walked out of there and was met by the Roman soldiers. You know the rest of the story. Took him all night, taking him from one court to another one, laughing at him, mocking him, brutalizing him, placing a crown of thorns upon his head, leading him finally down the streets of Via Delagosa. Placed a cross upon his back, he fell under the load. Placed a cross upon Simon of Cyrene and led him up Golgotha's hill. Hallelujah. Not a murmur. Didn't say a word, no complaints. Every complaint had been voiced in Gethsemane. Everything that he ever thought against that had been voiced in Gethsemane. You'll not find him voicing any complaints any other time. Never opens his mouth. They laugh. They mock. They scorch him. Tie him to the post. Whip him to the inch of his life. And all he does is say, by my stripes, you're healed. All he does is submit to that. And say they're working out something there for humanity. All he does is say every strike is for a disease someplace in humanity's life. All he does is look and say, do it. Honey, it'll work. Took him. Flung him down upon that cross. Hammer sounds. Let's go through that right between here. When a spike and a nail in through there into the wood. Ever heard him utter anything? Everything that he'd ever uttered had already been said. All the disagreements with what he was supposed to do had already been said. Gethsemane was over. He walked out, ready to face his accusers, those that would crucify him. Soldiers went to the other side, stretched him out, laid another one through his wrist, stretched him out, put one through his feet, raised that cross, and let it fall. I didn't utter a word. What was happening? What was he doing there? He was working out your salvation and mine. He was making a way for lost humanity. He was making it where we could have this treasure in earthen vessels. He was cleansing us out of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he never uttered a word. And then the seven cries from the cross of Calvary wasn't for him. It was all for us. When he cried, I first. No doubt he had first. But he looked down at struggling, lost humanity and saw the need of a fountain to be opened up. Saw thirsty souls that had nothing to slake their thirst. 
There needed to be a fountain of living water opened up. And he said, I thirst. I believe he said that for me and for you. And then when he died, a fountain of living water was opened up into us. The power of the Holy Ghost came and a fountain flowed free. As the living God was paying a price for mortal humanity. So we would know how he felt and he would let us know how, that he knew how we felt. And we had ministered on that before. He reached out a hand to find that Midoise curtain. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Cried that not only for himself, but for us. Because he knew there would be times when we would stand there and yield to the cry of flesh. And wonder where God was. And then finally, when the time was almost ready, looking out upon distraught women, looking out upon fearful men, watching them as they stood there watching him, hurling insults in his face, stripped of every decency and modesty he ever had, as he hang naked and nude upon the cross. Undignified as he was, mocked and laughed at and scoffed and said, if you be the Christ, come down. He knew he could. He knew he could. He knew all he had to do was snap his finger. I called 10,000 angels. They would take him down from there. I said he willingly gave his life. Nobody took it from him. He laid it down. He wanted us to be free. He didn't want us in bondage. He didn't want handcuffs on our hands. He didn't want our feet shackled and bound. He didn't want that. He came to preach deliverance. Friend, if we could just get some glimpse of what the cross of Christ did for us and Gethsemane did for Jesus. I think sometimes we'd look in the mirror, point our finger at our, at our own faces, and say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Right. You ought to be ashamed. You're not paying anything of what Christ paid for you. And he endured you with power to be able to do this. He paid a price. He should release us from bondage. He said he would. Amen. And finally... Christ's about ready to be paid. Stay with me, saints. I'll be done. Christ's about ready to be paid. He just simply raised himself up. What breath he had left in him after sliding up and down trying to breathe, trying to somewhere somehow get a, a get a gulp of air finally raised himself up and he said it's finished it's over price is paid and he looks up and oh, barely more than a whisper 
He says, Father, to thy hands I commit my spirit. And the Bible says, and he bowed his head and dismissed his spirit. And the price was paid for all humanity. Sin no more has to linger. And we don't have to taste it. The bitter gall of it all. Jesus tasted the sting of sin and death for us. And set us free. And sometimes we really don't understand our freedom. We live in this world tormented and aggravated, despondent and wearied and troubled. And all the questions could be solved and answers to them all if we could realize that when he mounted that cross, he took care of every last thing that the human body ever needed and the human soul ever needed and the human spirit ever needed. He paid the full price. And he set us free. Does it cost us anything but ourselves? The saints, I don't care how you slice it, that's a good deal. Amen. That's a good deal. Just us for him. Hallelujah. He sure comes out bad on that tree. But he knows what he can do with us. Amen. For what we are when he comes to our lives, he sees us for what he can make out of us. Saints, let's don't disappoint him. Let's let him make something out of our lives. Let's make his life count. Let's start doing it now. Make the life of Christ count. If you pass through this world and, and you leave no mark at all, they'll bury you and you'll be gone. But if you pass through this world and leave the mark of Jesus Christ on your life, somebody is going to know that you've been here and that you've lived this life. Somebody is going to take your testimony and pass it on to somebody else. And as far as that's concerned, you won't die because your testimony will be alive. I believe it says concerning Abel, he being dead yet speaketh. I know saints of old that's been in the grave a long time and they still talk loud and clear to me. I know individuals that have worshipped God and served God and honored God and have passed beyond this veil of tears and I don't hear their voice anymore really as it sounds but I know their voice in their life and they're still alive as far as I'm concerned. Their voice still rings in my ears. My mother is past and gone and I still hear her voice saying he's not going to go to hell. I'm not going to let him. I still hear Dad's voice of warning time and time again as he admonished me that I needed Christ in my life. It was the only Savior I had. I hear that voice, and it sounds loud and clear over and over. And I hear the voice of the saints of old out of long past out of this veil of tears. And they're still saying words that some way or somehow grips my spirit and grips my soul and makes me to know that if they live this life, I can live it also. What an example. For us, with saints that have long since passed, and yet 
I have officiated at funerals where no witness has ever been there. And you lay them, lay them in the ground and there is no testimony to pass on. Friend, they could, my parents could have died and left me a hundred million dollars and it wouldn't have meant much to me as the legacy they left in my life. The introduction to God and the getting whole of the firm foundation in the midst of every trial and tribulation not turning loose of it. Time comes, lays it down. A babe ain't dead, still speaks. Let me close with this. How did this work? How did Jesus drinking the iniquities of man destroy it? I've jotted down something here that I have used before, and I think it's apropos here. Medical science discovered that human blood does not have the power to combat diphtheria. But in a certain kind of a horse are antibodies in the blood which are capable of destroying that germ. So that when the diphtheria germ is injected in the blood of this horse, this horse becomes sick, not with his own sickness, but because it has taken a human ailment in its bloodstream. And so then the blood of the horse destroys the bacteria germ and produces an antitoxin. And it is this serum which has been used in the prevention of the dreaded diphtheria. I read that, I thought, what an analogy to the blood of Jesus. Humanity was sick with sin. The blood of no sacrificial offering could destroy the germ of sin. The blood of bulls and goats and pigeons was not the answer. But Jesus, through his love, offered his body and ingested the germ of sin into his own body and created something in his life that gave us an added antidote for our sins. And if we are willing to be inoculated by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is glorious victory over sin and degradation of our lives. Because Jesus took it in and made a way that did not destroy him. And he produced something for us, which was the precious blood of Jesus Christ that anoints our lives and carries us through in this hour of dispensation. All he asked, all he asked is to receive this inoculation, which is simply coming to him. And confessing our sins. It's really in a sense just like they're shooting the anatoxin into our heart. You can't see it. It isn't injected there by needle. The power of God comes down in our life in the blood of Jesus Christ and cleanses us. We are cleansed from all the disease of sin. I want us to stand tonight. I want the praise team to come for just a few minutes and sing some appropriate song. 
And I want our lives. I want some way. I want some way for us to be carried back. I wish that I had the abilities to transport you back to that and make you see what I saw when Christ carried me back to that scripture and formulated these words and imprinted them in my spirit that I was sorry, desperately sorry, every time I complained and griped. Sorry of all the times I walked with my hands hanging down and my head low. Sorry that I ever allowed the enemy to come in and take control like he is. Sorry because I betrayed the Lord when he paid such an awful price to bring me something. Simply just says I paid the price. I'll cleanse you. And I guess the final analysis, he says, I'll keep paying it. I don't know which of the writers said it. It slipped my mind just now. I believe it was Paul writing. He said, I would that you sin not. Maybe it was John. But he said, if you sin, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. That wasn't a license to sin. That was just telling us that should we falter and fall and sin overtake us, don't lay there in it. Get up. The same blood that cleansed us before will cleanse us again. That's what he's telling us. Bow your heads for a few moments. I'm going to ask all of us just for a few moments. Now, I know there's needs in our congregation. There's needs of an infilling of the Spirit. That can be done also, but I want all of us to approach this altar for a few moments. Now, I want us to stand and behold Christ as he walks in to Gethsemane. Try to sense to feel like he's feeling when he bows down and prays three times, nobody's there. One of the one of the books records that finally, because of the agony of his soul, an angel comes down and strengthens him. I think that said to me then that when there's no human around, there's always a resource from him. There's always some angelic force around that simply stands by. Get to full force. What started to happen that day till finally ended with the cry of Jesus. It's over. It's finished. The price is paid. You now avail yourself of Would you come from power of God in your life. You stay there and somebody will work with you. While you're standing there praying, I want you to pray for me. 
If you would receive it tonight, this is my blood, which was shed for the sins of all humanity. You need not approach me other than in faithfulness and purity and come. I will satisfy every longing of your heart. I will speak peace into your life. I will let you walk in the midst of supernatural things. Trust me, saith God. Walk with me and let me walk with you. And the grace of the living God will settle down upon you. And when you call, I will answer. When you ask, I will give. And when you seek, I'll let you have it. And when you knock on the door, I'll